Grace, mercy, and peace to you from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Today we'll be taking a look at our gospel reading from John 1. It's a very beautiful passage of Scripture, and every time I read it, I can't help but be reminded that I will forever be a student of Scripture. When we read it, it provides us with a very wonderful account of what we celebrate here on Christmas Day. That is, God becoming human. In the person of Jesus is both God and man. And yet if we take a look at the Gospel of John and what he says in this first chapter, he doesn't just say God became man. He doesn't say God became flesh. What does he say? He says the Word became flesh. Have you ever wondered what John means when he says Word? What do you think of when you think of God's Word? We well, probably have in mind something like this the Bible. Holy Scripture as being God's own word. And this is certainly true and helpful, and it's not a bad start when we think of the word becoming flesh. Maybe in your mind you think of God's own word, the Bible, taking on a, a fleshy nature and becoming a living being in the person of Christ. Again, this isn't a, a bad start, and yet it can leave us a little bit confused. The story seems incomplete. So we ask, John, what do you mean by the word becoming flesh? Well, consider the book of Genesis. In the book of Genesis, certainly John is pulling off of Genesis's creation account. The two begin in, with the same words, in the beginning. John goes on, in the beginning was the word. Genesis starts, in the beginning God created. Well, what did God do in the beginning? Well, he wills into existence everything by his own word. So we see that God's word is intricately tied to his own will. When John says the word became flesh, we get a better understanding of God's own will becoming flesh. Okay, so this helps, but what else can Genesis teach us? Where else does God use his word? Consider the Garden of Eden. What does God say to Adam after he creates him in the garden? Chapter 2. May you, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. Here we see that God's word doesn't just will things into existence, but God's word is the very will for mankind. 
It's what God desires of all of mankind, and here, what he desires for Adam and Eve in the garden. I don't have to tell you that Adam and Eve went against that very will of God. They went against God's own word, God's own will. Perhaps you're familiar with a phrase, common phrase. You've probably used it at some point in your life. It goes, that works great in theory, but not in practice. Probably each of us have used that at some point or at least heard of someone using it. This, for me, struck home while I was in undergrad. In undergrad, I was studying as an engineer, and I worked on a number of robots. Me and a team put together a robot for this competition, and we knew, in theory, what that robot ought to do. We knew, in theory, that the robot was to go about, pick up different objects, and move those objects from point A to point B. In so doing, we get points and scores for our team. Well, we also, in designing the robot, knew in theory what the robot ought to look like. We had all these pictures on both paper and computer, and in theory, we knew what it should look like. But come game day, we knew that theory was not the same as practice. At the end of the game day, our robot looked a lot less than those like those pictures on paper and computer, and it looked a lot more like a giant wad of duct tape. You see, there's a divide between the theoretical and the practical. Adam and Eve, when they went against God's word, God's will, they introduced that first divide between the theoretical and the practical. Theoretically, what God wanted them to do. Practically, how they lived out their life in sin. That divide between the theoretical and the practical continues throughout all of history. We see that in Scripture. We just take a look and consider, for example, the Israelites. The Israelites, after fleeing from Exodus, they, they travel through or across the Red Sea, and where do they go? Well, they go to Mount Sinai. There, Moses goes up and ascends the mountain, and he receives God's own word in the Ten Commandments. On those two tablets of stone, it's God's own inscription with his very finger. It's God's word for Moses, for the Israelites, but it's also God's own will for the Moses and the Israelites. I don't have to tell you how that goes as well. You know that just like Adam and Eve, how they turned away from God's own word, God's own will, so also the Israelites turned away from God's own word and will. That divide between the theoretical and the practical continues. 
advance in time and advance farther in scripture and we get to John chapter 1. The word became flesh. What does John mean by the word becoming flesh? Well, it's God's own will becoming flesh. God's own will that you and I cannot do. God's own will for humanity. You see, in the person of Jesus Christ, we see that theoretical and the practical intersecting once again in perfect obedience to God's word, God's will. Were you born without sin? Well, no, but Jesus was. Have you lived a perfect life according to God's own word, God's own will? Well, no, but Jesus has. And God's own word and will brought Jesus all the way to the cross where he died. Why would he do that? I encourage you to pick up your Bibles in front of you, or if you brought your own Bible along, take that out and open up to John chapter 1. It'll serve as a better um, reference than perhaps the bulletin, since you can follow along with the verses. So John chapter 1, I'll give you a few seconds to open it up. I want to point out a beautiful, the beautiful structure of John chapter 1, the gospel reading that we took a look at today. Perhaps you've seen me do this before, but you'll need the, the Bible and two fingers to point this out. There's a beautiful structure in John chapter 1, for you see, there's a number of parallels that start from the outside of our reading and slowly work their way inward. So, for example, take a look at verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Here in this verse, we're told that the Son is right there alongside the Father. The Word is with God. So place one finger on verse 1. Now place the other finger on verse 18. Here we have a parallel in this reading, that being, no one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Once again, we have the Son who is at the Father's side. We have a beautiful parallel outlining the outside of this text. And you'll notice, if you take a look at how far apart your fingers are, and if you're using the ESV in front of you, you may have to do some mental gymnastics with the two parallel columns, but imagine how far apart they are, and you'll notice that your fingers will slowly get closer and closer together, indicating the structure of this text. So now move the top finger from verse 1 to verse 6, and your bottom finger from verse uh, 18 to verse 15. So 6 and 15. Your fingers should be closer together at this point. If we take a look, what do we see there? 
Well, both of these have to do with the witness of John the Baptist. There was a man sent from God whose name was John, verse 6. And verse 15, John bore witness about him and cried out, This is he of whom I said. Here we have this beautiful parallel between John the Baptist, and we continue to work our way inwards. Next, we'll take a look at verse 9 and 14. Your fingers should be closer together. And what does this parallel show and reveal to us? Verse 9, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. God comes into the world. So also in verse 14, this is the text that we've been focusing on up to this point, that being God or the Word becoming flesh. Vicar, where are you taking us? Okay, so here in the text, we're told that God comes into the world. For what purpose? We get our answer at the center of this structure. The parallels continue to move closer and closer together, and at the center, we're told why God will come as a human. Verse 12, all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who are born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. God became human. He took on human flesh so that you can become a child of God, so that you can be brought back into perfect alignment with God's own will. I'd like to close by focusing on two points both dealing with what it means for you to be a child of God. What does it mean to be a child of God? First, by faith in Christ, you have confidence in the resurrection. Chapter 6 in John says, For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. In Christ, you know that you will be raised up on the last day. And just as we saw that intersection between the theoretical and the practical in Jesus Christ, so also when you are raised up on the last day, that theoretical and practical will also intersect for you. There'll be no more division or tension between the two, no more duct tape to patch up all of the mess. You'll be in perfect alignment with God's own will. Second, what does it mean for you to be a child of God? As children, you eagerly seek to do God's own will. You eagerly seek to be in 
God's own word. You see, Christianity isn't just simply head knowledge. It isn't just about facts that we know. It's a reality. You have been made children of God. You've been changed. The Holy Spirit is working in each of your hearts, desiring to follow God's own will, to grow in God's own word. You've probably seen it at some point in your life where a father is telling the little child what to do, and the child, if he doesn't want to hear what the father has to say, will plug his ears and yell, um, yell loudly, I can't hear you, and just blocks out the father's own words. I think sometimes we as a church can plug our ears to God's own word if we don't desire what he has to say in his word. You see, he eagerly gives us his word, wanting us to study his word on a daily basis, wanting to come here to church to hear the proclamation of the word and to receive it in visit very physical forms, that of baptism, where God attaches his own word to water, and also the Lord's Supper, where he attaches his word to very physical elements for the forgiveness of sins. Brothers and sisters, we have become children of God. That divide between the theoretical and the practical has been done away with. All because the Word became flesh. Amen. In the name of Jesus, amen.